inbound lead management because we had inbound leads coming in and obviously had to capitalize on that opportunity. Welcome to Revenue Insights. Every week, we'll be joined by revenue leaders from some of the most successful and highest growing companies. Together, we explore how they built their revenue teams, the journeys that they've been on, and the lessons they have learned along the way. Revenue Insights is brought to you by Ebster. We're a revenue intelligence platform designed to help revenue teams to build more pipeline, close more deals, and retain more customers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Revenue Insights podcast. Today, I'm joined by Rob Finkelstein, who's the head of revenue operations at Heyday. He's briefly previously worked at Shipboard, Idea Financial, and On Deck. Rob, it's great to meet you. Thanks, Lee. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Yeah, really excited to dig into what you're doing at Heyday at the minute, and also come your some of your past experience as well. But for everyone listening at home that obviously hasn't heard of, who perhaps haven't heard you of you before, um, what's your story? Yeah, so I kind of fell backwards into revenue operations at the beginning of my career, graduated college and was uh, got the opportunity to work for Dish Network, um, you know, big Fortune 500 company at the time who played, you know, gave me an offer within their sales operations group, which I had never heard of and didn't know what it was. But, uh, you know, it seemed like a, a great opportunity, a great, great way to start my career. And since then, it's uh, kind of the rest is history. I've been in several uh, sales and revenue operations roles leading into revenue operations leadership roles. Um, so I went from there into the fintech sector where I worked in, in revenue operations um, at, at On Deck and Idea Financial, and then moved my way into the e-commerce world, which you know I'm really, really passionate about. Um, so was head of RevOps at ShipOb, which is an end-to-end uh, 3PL servicing small to medium-sized e-commerce businesses, um, and then uh, now currently at Heyday, where we acquire and incubate um, leading digitally native consumer brands. Um, and so my role at Heyday is really focused on the strategy and operations around, um, you know, going out and, and acquiring top e-commerce brands. Yeah, I'm really interested to dig into a bit more about what it is that you're doing at Heyday at the minute, because it sounds like a really interesting business model. What was it about the project there that really attracted you to it? Yeah, for sure. You know, it's just a very, very unique industry that, you know, completely took off in, in 2020 and 2021. I think it was in 2021, there was $12 billion in venture capital that flowed into the space of companies, you know, looking to acquire and, and roll up e-commerce businesses. Um, I was just extremely intrigued by the notion that, you know, you could build a company that had heightened expertise in all the different areas, operations, marketing, creative, brand management, you know, analytics, um, and kind of outperform, you know, the, the, the general retail e-commerce market by really building deep expertise. Um, and so I found, you know, just that business model to be extremely interesting um, and then I feel, you know, it's pretty rare in a RevOps scenario to be able to get in really early at a company. Typically, companies are hiring RevOps once they've, um, you know, gotten some traction, built out a sales team. But Heyday knew that an, an outbound strategy, um, you know, a strong outbound strategy for acquiring businesses would, would be a big differentiator and would be really important. So uh, I was given the opportunity to join, you know, very, very early, which has been in building everything from uh, complete scratch, which is 
always kind of been a dream of mine in RevOps. That's actually something that I was really keen to like dig into beforehand. So at what stage was it uh, like Series A when you joined? Was it Series A when you joined or perhaps before? Yeah, I joined I joined right like as they were announcing their Series A, right? Well, they they announced the Series A in no, November and I joined the 1st of January. So yeah, right as they announced Series A. Amazing. And then when you went in, what, what what did it look like? What was the state of play? You know, was it literally ground zero, literally nothing there or... Yeah, I mean, it was it was completely ground zero from a you know operations infrastructure standpoint. Um, they had acquired a handful of brands, you know, with with that initiative led you know pretty much by the CEO, the head of growth, and the founding team. Um, and so those were all deals that had been brought in by you know either brokers or bankers. So there wasn't actually any sales process in place that even led to those deals. It was it was through partnerships, and so. There was literally nothing in place. Uh, everything was being tracked in. Well, actually, that's not true. Contacts were being tracked in HubSpot. Everything else, deal progress, this and that was being tracked in Google Sheets. Um, and basically, we were starting our first two, you know, business development reps two weeks after I started. Um, they had just, you know, released a bunch of PR and and had some basic forms on the website. So it was, hey, in, in two weeks we're going to have a sales team starting. We need a CRM up. We need the inbound lead flowing into Salesforce. We need a cadence for them to respond to inbound leads. We need you to start working on outbounding, outbound. We need you to build the total addressable market, uh, implement a basic tech stack. And so, uh, yeah, it was, it was completely blank slate, but, um, you know, I was given the liberty to kind of lead the strategy on that and build things, you know, how, how I thought was the right way. So it was, you know, it was a great scenario to walk into. I think you touched on it a little bit there, but where were the, you know, the key areas that you were trying to build out perhaps in, you know, the first six months and what were you prioritizing first? Yeah, for sure. Well, first things first, you know, the first thing we had to prioritize was inbound lead management because we had inbound leads coming in and obviously, you know, had to capitalize on that opportunity. Um, so, you know, the very first thing was, okay, we need to get the website. We need to get a formal CRM implemented. And we figured, you know, quickly determined that that Salesforce was what we wanted to use for that. Um, you know, so obviously get the inbound leads automatically integrating with the CRM, get some basic lead routing going. Um, and then, you know, quickly brought in a sales engagement platform to facilitate, you know, and, and uh, to, to an extent automate, you know, responding to inbound leads. So that was the first priority just because the lead flow was there and we had to capitalize on that. Um, and then, you know, obviously, there's a lot that goes into implementing the CRM, which which I did do on my own. So, quite honestly, like when I'm, I always like to start with what's every data point that we're going to want to capture there to capture, and uh, and which of those can be automated. Um, so, just spending a lot of time being thoughtful about like what data we're going to want to collect um, and how we can automate that collection, because there's certain data you can go back and get and enrich. There's some data that if you don't have the process set up to collect in the beginning, like, you know, you just don't have it. So that was a really important piece. Um, and then from there, you know, determining the outbound strategy, both from measuring total addressable market um, and then carving out pieces of that, prioritizing carving out pieces of that market. What are the best data sources to, you know, actually target what those companies are and, and the contacts that are there? Um so the very first, you know, so obviously piece number one, figuring out what companies we're going to reach out to, figuring out who the personas are, and then starting to build outbound cadences. You know, how do we think these people want to be engaged with? What should the messaging look like? What should the steps look like? What are the rules of engagement? Um, and so that was really, you know, the first six months, the inbound engine, building that outbound engine and getting a strong grasp on, you know, data and process for, 
for, for penetrating the market. Amazing. And obviously before I know you were working at ShipBob. So I'm curious to know, going into Heyday and being able to build it from the ground up as you have done, you know, were there some learnings that you took from your time there that you then have kind of implemented? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, ShipBob. Yeah, so ShipBob was a, was another great opportunity. They're, they were further along. I came in when they were Series C and they already had you know, like 40 BDRs and 20 some account executives and you know, they had processes stand up, although it needed a lot of work. And so, you know, one of the big, when I first stepped in at ShipBob, one of the questions I asked was, well, what are the daily activity expectations? And it was like, well, it's technically this, but activity doesn't track reliably. Like the sales engagement platform isn't reliable and reps aren't tracking X and Y. So we don't really manage to it. Um, and so that was really eye opening. And so taking that learning over and kind of a building a culture of, accountability were like, hey, the CRM is the source of truth. And I know sales reps hearing this, hate hearing this, but if it if it's not in Salesforce, it didn't happen. Really getting buy-in from from you know on that vision from every level of management. Um, and you know, from the sales reps especially, and then saying, you know, okay, these are our systems, this is how things should work. If something isn't tracking correctly, you know, that's on you for for you to flag and for me to fix. But um, you know, we're not gonna have excuses around, you know, not understanding our activity. And, and that ended up being really, really strong because, um, you know, to this point now we have a really, really good grasp on the data of, of everything we're doing, every interaction, contact activities, um, you know, details, unique details about the business. And so, um, yeah, I think that was one of the biggest things, having that culture of accountability and, and tracking and adherence to CRM process was, was big. So what's the secret then? How, how did you actually manage to get the buy-in? The secret is getting senior leadership bought in, being like, literally like, this is my, as RevOps, like, this is my number one thing I'm telling you, you hired me to do a job. And this is, you know, what I'm telling you is important. And almost, you know, if you want this to be successful, you need to specifically communicate the importance of this. Um, and, and luckily, you know, we had a leadership team that, that totally understands that. And, and so that's, you know, that's, again, the thing like the having all levels on the same page is, is critical. I suppose that's one of the big benefits, really, of being able to build this out from the very beginning is going into it, knowing data and having all of the right data points in the first place is going to be critical to literally everything else that you do. So um, a huge, I guess, um, piece of advice for everyone listening there. I appreciate it's very difficult, you know, after a while, you know, once you've got a more mature sales process and you've got it built out a lot more, it's so much harder to go back and then build it in. So actually building it out from the very beginning is so crucial. So Rob, something I'm interested to know, obviously, you kind of touched on it at the beginning, but I'm interested to know more about what the sales process is like at Heyday and how it compares to where you've been at before. Yeah. Um, well, it's, you know, it's one thing is that it's really evolved over time. So I'd say one way it's differed is just the, the extent to which it's changed over time. Um, you know, we entered the market thinking, you know, perhaps that the ideal acquisition profile of a company was X. And so, you know, we built out the playbook to target and attract, you know, a certain, and I have to be like intentionally a little bit vague, but uh, built out the playbook to attract and target, you know, a certain type of company. And then as this, again, like this space was very new, um, the, you know, it was the company started during the pandemic. So obviously the pandemic had certain impacts on e-commerce trends. And then those trends actually over time have kind of not gone the way people thought. People thought the pandemic would bring e-commerce trends 10 years into the future. Uh, and they've actually now kind of settled back into their normal levels that they would have been 
without the pandemic. And so anyway, um, the, the type of business that we've you know, targeted over time has changed and therefore our cadence and messaging you know, has had to constantly evolve. Um, so at first it might have been really focused on the, the top brands that sold exclusively on Amazon, you know, now shifting more to acquiring true, you know, omni-channel, digitally native brands um, being more the play. And now thinking, oh, you know, brands, you know, before we might have been hesitant to brands that had retail presence, but now that's or heavy wholesale, but now that's something that we're interested in. And so every time you do that, right, you gotta have to go back to the trying board on on what you're trying to do and how you approach, you know, those targets and how you, you know, go go after the people is kind of evolves based on the types of businesses you're you're engaging. So what would you say is the biggest challenge um, as a result of that? The biggest challenge is, you know, for us specifically, and this may not apply, is you know, we're not trying we're not selling software to someone. We're buying a business and we want to buy, you know, the most healthy, you know, healthy, profitable, growing, differentiated big businesses on the market. So one of the biggest challenges is being able to accurately map the data that the third-party data that's available on the market to the businesses. Like e-commerce revenue estimates are only so good. No one on earth has perfect e-commerce revenue estimates. Understanding growth can only be so good. Understanding profitability from a third-party data standpoint is basically impossible. And then there's those soft. So those are hard elements. But then there's those soft elements like do, is this a differentiated brand, right? There's 10,000 skincare brands selling direct to consumer online. How do you determine which are the ones that are actually doing something different? Okay, well, you might be able to download a data set that has, uh, includes ingredients of the products so you can you know, start to, to uh, target you know, more deeply that way. And so that, that's been the biggest challenge is being able to accurately target the best businesses. And then you know, when you find them, Really being able to drill down into the ones that are, you know, we think the best fit for what we're looking for. It's a really curious kind of process, right? Because you know, as you say, you're not you're not selling to a customer per se. You're almost trying to attract people that you're going to actually go and invest in. Then, so does that present like unique challenges for your for your reps and your SDRs as well? Yeah, it's um, unique challenges and unique opportunities. I mean, I think. One of the major challenges is that, you know, one of the major challenges is that when you're, when you're selling a product or service, obviously, you know, a very, I feel the right way to do business development, and I think most people in the sales development community would agree, is getting, understanding their pain points, getting a discussion going, and then mapping your solution to their pain point. And, um, you know, when you're trying to acquire in a business, you, you can still take that route to some extent. Um, you know, for example, oh, you're, supply chain inflation is rising and, you know, your supply chain costs are going up. And obviously, like, now might be the time to set, sell the business and move that burden on to someone else. Or what, what is your pain point? Oh, advertising costs are rising. But at the end of the day, you know, you can only get so sophisticated with mapping your solution to the problem when your solution is, well, let us buy the business from you. So really, um, you know, if there's 60, 70 other firms doing the same thing and at the uh, you know, at an eyes level, the solution is the same. It's a purchase. But then obviously the details of how you go about making that acquisition and what capabilities you can add to the business, you know, that's what you really have to prove. That That's the major challenge is differentiating and, and showing that we truly are, you know, the, the most value-added partner in the space, you know, and the best buyer for their business. 
So, and you touched on it at the beginning as well. So, so what's the opportunity then uh, that, that comes as, with that model? Um, the opportunity is for them to be able to, you know, either move on to their next venture or retire and see their business taken to a level that they maybe never even thought possible in the first place under their own ownership. Um, also, you know, a lot of people start these products, company start these as a product out of passion, and then it becomes, you know, a real company. It gains traction and Believe it or not, a lot of people don't want to go build a big company. Like that's not something they're actually interested in. So we give them the opportunity to see, you know, their company still thrive, take go to the next level, um, you know, service their customers in the way that they built the business to do so. But they don't have to be the ones driving that. And then, then of course, they get, you know, a very nice seven to eight figure payout that they can that they can then you know lean back on. So I'm guessing. Oh, well, you kind of touched on that. It's a, it's a pretty. These are pretty huge deals that that you're then working on. So it's kind of the onboarding process, very similar to you know where you've worked at previously in terms of you know once you found a brand that you're going to um, like purchase, is the handover then very similar to what you've worked with previously? I'd say I'd say it's actually a, a good amount more sophisticated. Um, you know, integrating a product into someone's process uh, versus integrating entire a company's entire business into yours. So we have a, a very, very long checklist with, you know, multiple, every single team has their process throughout that integration process. So it's not like there's a customer onboarding team, right? There's our supply chain and operations team doing supply chain and ops onboarding. There's our marketing team doing marketing onboarding. There's our technology team integrating them into our technology stack. And there are, there is a team responsible for owning that onboarding process from end to end. But the actual, you know, functional part of it is obviously, you know, complex and, um, you know, well, well thought out because there's a lot of nuance, obviously, to, to merging businesses. Yeah, absolutely. I want to take us in a slightly different direction. Something that we were talking about beforehand that you mentioned, being in a RevOps team of one, is something that I know will resonate a lot with our listeners. You know, not all blessed with being in a RevOps team of multiple people. So from your experience, particularly in, in Haiti at the minute, what would you say the advantages, but also the disadvantages are of being, you know, the single revenue operations person? Yeah, the, the I would say the advantage is you really, you know, if you can really stick to your prioritization and, um, you know, set, set the tone on, on what you're working on based on what you think has the biggest impact, it's really high impact work. You know, every, everything you can justify that everything you're working on has to be very high impact because, um, you know, that's the only, that's the only contribution that RevOps can make is, is that, that the, that the one person is making. And so, um, it's actually not, there's actually not a lot of dealing with fire drills because we're not going crazy and building out like 20, you know, different tech, tech there's not 20 different, uh, you know, products in the tech stack. We don't have, you know, 40 sales reps that, you know, need to be every single one of their, you know, performance deeply managed. Um, and so I would say, so, you know, taking it back a step, I'd say the main advantage is really being able to focus on a high impact work. Obviously the disadvantage is, you know, there's, there's stuff that simply can't get done. And anyone in RevOps knows that, you know, I think prioritization is by far the most important skill set for anyone in RevOps. And that, that, you know, couldn't be more important than if you're a RevOps team of one. Uh, the skill of saying no is very important. Um, the skill of, you know, 
kind of having a strong opinion, managing up and, and setting the tone for, for what your roadmap looks like is, is very important. I completely agree. And so in terms of prioritization, I know what it can be like when you're getting requests left, right and center and all of a sudden it just piles up and piles up, particularly if you keep saying yes to things, right? So for you then, how do you prioritize? You, know, you mentioned about it being you know based on impact, but is it literally from a perspective of, okay, if it's going to drive revenue, then great, we'll do it. Or are you looking at it in a slightly different way? Yeah, well, similar but different. You know, Heyday, Heyday does a really good job of outlining our core company goals. So we do, you know, year-long goal planning, planning sprints. And there's, let's say, you know, five flagship company goals and then, you know, some sub-goals under that. So I'm always trying to strive towards achieving those goals. Um, so that that's the main thing. What, you know, Revenue growth is always important to every company, but there's other there's always going to be other initiatives that are important. So uh, making sure the worker is always driving towards those goals, and then I also kind of try to look at on the matrix of like effort to impact. You know, the highest impact work might be a ton of a ton of effort. There might also be relatively high impact work, not as high, but relatively high impact work that isn't actually as much effort. So. How basically, how can you get the highest leverage for your effort in terms of impact is is how I try to I try to prioritize those things um, you know higher as well. Is this one piece of advice that you could give to other solo revopses? I don't know if that's a word. Uh, revops professionals. What would it be? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, it's just not not being afraid to saying no and having having buy-in from your leadership on what your priorities are. So I, you know, one-on-ones with whoever your boss is or, you know, weekly meetings, whoever your stakeholders is, having, making sure they're a part of the conversation of what your roadmap looks like, what you're focused on and why, as long as everyone's bought in, you know, if there's X, Y, and Z and Z can't get done, but everyone understands it's because X and Y are getting done and X and Y are most important you know, no one's ever going to have any problems. So really being transparent about being transparent about your prioritization, why it is how it is, is, um, you know, very important. Yeah, I love that. In addition to that, now you touched on earlier around when you came in, you know, not the tech stack, well, obviously not, you didn't even have a CRM, right? Now you've had, I think, coming up to two years at Heyday. So what would you consider to be the essential tools then in your tech stack? You know, you've had a complete free, free reign to build the blueprint. So what absolutely has to be in there. Yeah, I think there's like, so I think there's like table stakes, like you literally, in my opinion, can't operate without these things. And then there's what I think are like the next like very, very strong needs. And then there's maybe a third category that it's like, if these are right for your business, they're going to add a lot of value. So for me, the, the three absolute table stakes things that you must have are obviously is a CRM, but a CRM that's captured, that's capable of automating processes and workflows and automating the capture of data. Um, and, you know, it's important to think about what are we going to need a couple of years from now. So a CRM that facilitates those needs. A sales engagement platform um, to support, you know, both inbound and outbound. And then some kind of type of customer data platform. So, you know, some type of product or service that provides you data, not only on the companies, but the people you're going after. Those are the three things that I think you need basically for any revenue engine. Um, then going down into as the team starts to grow and things evolve and revenue is increasing, um, I do think like a conversation intelligence platform is is very valuable. So something like a Gong or Chorus, 
um, to be able to record all your calls, understanding what's happening in those interactions. And then a lot of those tools now, they're building like pipeline management tools or forecasting accuracy tools. So I think that, you know, obviously something like that can be really valuable. Um, and then something to capture intent data. Intent data isn't a fit for every business. Um, and so, you know, for our business, honestly, like the companies that we're interested in acquiring and their activity online indicating that they're interested in an acquisition, there really isn't a lot of overlap there. We experimented with a couple of providers. It didn't work. But for a lot of companies, um, you know, timing your, in, your cadence and your engagement with intent um, is obviously, you know, a really high value activity. So I would say those are the essential platforms. But then, you know, there's a million different tech pieces out there and you're, you know, I, I went through the phase of thinking I had to look at everything and I was leaving money on the table by not, you know, using every tool on the market. But it's really important to think about like, what are the top three things that you need help with? And is there technology out there that that can help? Because I think oftentimes, you know, we all get a ton of emails from people trying to, trying to sell us very helpful tools and they're just, you know, doing their job and they have a great product. Um, but it's just simply not, you can find yourself trying to match a tool to a problem, but what you should be doing is taking a problem and finding a tool to help solve it. So if it's our sales reps aren't capturing enough data or taking, taking you know, great notes, what's a tool that can help facilitate that? Uh, we have a big rules of engagement duplicate management problem. Okay, it seems like you need a deduplication and, and lead routing system. So that's starting with the problem, not starting with the tool is, is my biggest piece of advice there. I'm really interested to know then, obviously at Hayden, we've already touched on like how different the, the sales process is. So is there perhaps one one tool then that you found that has really helped what you guys are doing that perhaps would fit in that bucket of, you know, a more niche tool? Yeah, and this isn't this isn't really a niche tool. Um, but I think just tools that allow you to get creative with your outreach. So I don't want to give, you know, too much uh, I'll be a little a little bit intentionally vague here, but if you can get a competitive edge by doing better research on your companies you're going after and their competition, you know, that, that could be one, um, you know, sending videos uh, over email, sending LinkedIn voice messages, attending industry events. Like these aren't necessarily, I guess attending an industry event isn't necessarily tools, but being every place you possibly can where your prospects are and your competition isn't, you know, there's tools that can help you do that. And, and we've leveraged some tools that have been able to help us do that effectively. And that's been very impactful. Nice. Excellently handled. <laughs> Last question, Rob. And uh, I'm really curious to know, is there one book that you would recommend to other revenue leaders? And that might be fiction, it might be nonfiction. And yeah, really interested to know if there's one that springs to mind. Yeah, I could definitely do a better job of the business reading stuff. I'll be I'll be honest about that one. Um, I haven't read. We've had a real variety, so uh, go with whatever first brings to mind. Yeah, I haven't read a ton of of books in the space. I mean, I think it also depends on it depends on what your goals are. One thing that you know, I was new when I was at Shipbob. I was pretty new to the world of outbound, and we were doing really heavy outbound there. Outreaches like sales engagement book. You know, they kind of broke. I think it's just called sales engagement was really valuable and eye opening to me um, because, you know, there's a lot of good tools in that space, but outreach did help pioneer that space. They helped pioneer modern sales engagement. Um, there's a lot of 
gold in there in terms of how you know how they specifically do it and have built the company they built and that was really uh really insightful one for me awesome we'll be sure to leave a link in the show notes so everyone can go and have a listen rob thank you so much for joining me on the podcast it's been great to have you on for everyone that's listening and wants to learn a little bit more about you and perhaps connect on linkedin uh, i've kind of given it away but where would they find you yeah we well, can find heyday at heyday.co if you're someone you know has you know a great e-commerce business that would, you know, is interested in potentially getting a huge exit, hit us up. Um, <laughs> that's retiring can, sometime soon. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, and you can, you know, you can find me on, on LinkedIn, but that's about it. Awesome. We'll put a link to your page down in the show notes as well, as well as to Heyday. Because yeah, I, I mean, that's the way that your side hustle needs to go, right? Get a great directed consumer brand going and then uh, drink cocktails. That sounds like a wonderful way to, to go well, about it. We hope to help a lot of people do it. Yes, sir. <laughs> Rob, it's been amazing to have you on. Thank you so much again for giving me 30 minutes of your time. And thank you to everyone who's listened as well. We'll catch you next week. Thanks, Lee. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Revenue Insights. If you want to learn more, subscribe to our newsletter and we'll deliver every episode straight to your inbox. If you have any questions, feel free to connect with us on LinkedIn. Our links will be in the episode notes. See you next week.